thank you for the fact that you're with us all the time. Father, that song is so powerful as we look at this story this morning, knowing that you're with us no matter what's going on around us. No matter other things going on in our life, that you're here. Your love will light the way. Thank you for that. Thank you for what we can learn from Mary and Martha. For what you can teach us in Scripture. Father, I pray that you speak to us. Speak to us now, Father. Impress upon us the words that you want us to hear. And speak through me. I pray that my lips are your lips. My heart is your heart. Father, and that we won't be just hearers of this word, but we will be doers of it as well. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Jared Ott. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. As uh, Doug already mentioned, you know, we are really in our series of uh, Lent right now leading up to Easter. And it's a, it's a great series that we're in on Sunday mornings as we are looking at face-to-face with Jesus. Various encounters that Christ had through his time here on earth. And uh, it's been a wonderful series. I hope you've been enjoying it. I know that I've gotten a lot out of it. I know that as we look at these various characters, and they're not just characters, they're actually people. We look at these various people that Jesus encountered. We all can relate in some way, somehow. You know, when I read this story, Mary and Martha, it's probably very familiar to you all. But uh, as I was uh, reading and preparing, every time I look at it, you know, I look at uh, Martha really complaining about her sister. About some work that needs to be done. Now, I'm a parent. I have young children. So this is a very familiar sound to me. I asked uh, my wife, Deb, I said, uh, when you think of an illustration of, uh, like, siblings complaining about work that needs to be done, does anything ring a bell? She said, what doesn't ring a bell with our children? We have two kids, Caden and Langdon, and they're young, and oftentimes when there's chores going on, I'll hear this very familiar sound. I'm sure as parents you've heard it too. Caden will come up and say, Lang, uh, Langdon is not helping me set the table. Dad, tell her to help me. Or Caden didn't clean up his dishes very well. Tell him to help me. And I know as parents, we've heard this before. And we always remind our children, it's really about the attitude in which you're serving. The attitude in which you're serving. And I think that there's, this is applicable as we, as we look at this story today. As parents, we kind of do this very similar thing, don't we? There's a lot of things, responsibilities that we have. Sometimes there's, there's time to grumble and complain. My encouragement for you this morning is, what's the attitude in which we do it? You know, as you look at the background of the story, hopefully you have your Bibles or service sheets. It'll be up on the screen behind me. But as we look at this story, uh, we see uh, in verse uh, 38 of this story, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. Now, you may think, well, who's this Mary and Martha? It sounds very familiar. This Mary and Martha is, in fact, the same Mary and Martha that we encounter at various other aspects uh, in the Bible. Uh, If you remember, uh, some of you will remember uh, Lazarus. Lazarus died, and Jesus raised him from the dead. That was four days after he was dead. That is Mary and Martha's brother, okay? Same Mary and Martha. Okay, this is uh, Martha's house, same Mary and Martha. If you remember another uh, encounter with Christ where uh, Mary was pouring perfume on the feet of Jesus, okay? If you remember that story, very expensive perfume, same Mary and Martha, okay? 
Same, same, same people. And so what happens is, is, you know, the disciples and Jesus were walking along and they come to Martha's home. And this home is in Bethany. And uh, Bethany is only about two miles from Jerusalem. And uh, there we have uh, what happens in verse 39. She had a sister Mary. Martha had a sister Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, I would love to say that my children sit at my feet and listen to what I say on a regular basis. That does not happen in our home. But there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. One thing that you need to know from this, some of the background of this, is that, that women were not supposed to sit at the feet of the, a rabbi. Okay? So that's point number one. Jesus is letting her sit there. Which is really, uh, uh, he's saying, hey, look, we're ushering in a new custom here. It's not about rules or regulations. Mary is really one of those people that really defines a true believer. And as you know, as, as, as we sit here in church, we think, well, that's, that's admirable. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Wouldn't we all love to be there? She's the one that, when you think of Luke six forty seven. That one who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. The the mark of a true believer sitting at the feet of Jesus. Then what happens? Martha comes. Verse 40. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? So, you know, I try to envision this, uh, this, uh, this picture here in my mind. Of a dinner party. I'm sure we've all been to a dinner party. I know my wife and I have been to many dinner parties. And it's that uncomfortable dinner party where the husband or wife start arguing with one another. Or the kid's out of line and so they have to correct the child and everybody kind of looks down and eats real fast. <laughs> Let's pretend this isn't going on. We've been to those dinner parties. I, I, can, I can kind of see this as a very similar thing. Mary's out there. Jesus is talking. The disciples are all around. And then you start to hear some noise in the kitchen. It starts to get a little louder. Doors start slamming. Spoons get, start getting tossed. You start hearing Martha, oh, this isn't working. Grumbling and complaining about what's going on. Finally, she bursts out of the kitchen, wherever she's at, and comes running into the room. And what does she say? Lord, don't you care my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Don't you care? I could just see the disciples' face going, oh, this is going to be bad. This isn't going to be good. Did you hear what she just said? Lord, don't you care? Some of you go, did did she really just say that? Did she really come out and say, Lord, don't you care? One theologian said of this is that to to rebuke someone so compassionate, so caring for his people is one of the most foolish and graceless statements anyone has ever made to Jesus. Some of you are in here, even as I read this, and went, wow, can you believe what she just said? Don't you care? And then I think, are we much different? You know, a lot of us are dealing with a lot of stuff in life, aren't we? Lord, don't you care that I've got all this work that I have to do? Lord, don't you care that I have this bill that I can't pay? Lord, don't you care that my spouse is treating me the way they are? Lord, don't you care that my child did not come home last night? Lord, don't you care? 
Don't you care that I have to deal with this sickness? Lord, don't you care that I'm home with these kids all day and I don't have any moment for myself? Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care? I have the privilege of sitting in my office and folks coming in for counseling. I hear this all the time. God doesn't care. And I have to tell you, before we go any further, it's, it's the furthest thing from the truth. God cares so much about where you are in life. Some of you are thinking that right now. Like, I'm glad I'm here in church. God cares so much for you. He knows your situation. He knows where you are. He cares. He cares. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says what? Cast all your anxiety or cares on him. Because what? Because he cares for you. Isn't it interesting that the word anxiety there in the Greek is, really means to be distracted. What was Martha? She was what? Distracted. And people look at that verse and say, I get it, cast all your cares on him. And they will say, Jared, I've been doing that, but it doesn't seem to be working. I still am dealing with this. That's why I love, we have to put the verse before it. And I like the King James Version better. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. What's it say? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Casting. Not cast. Casting. Why? Because it's connected to the verse before. So in order to cast all your cares on him, what do you have to do? You have to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. You have to say, you know what, God? No matter what's going on, you're way more important than I am. No matter how many issues I'm dealing with, no matter responsibilities or stress in my life, you know, you're way more important, and I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to put myself at your feet because you're way more important than I am because the rest of this is just stuff. And God, you are in control. And you are way more important. You're my first priority. So I'm going to be on my knees praising you, spending time with you. And that's exactly where Mary was. And that's exactly what Martha failed to do. Mary was there. She understood. No matter what's going on in life, that our priority first is to Jesus. And the rest of this is just stuff. Just stuff. But what's Martha do instead? She comes out and she says, don't you care? And then what's the next verse? She says, tell her to help me. Oh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't even know where. If, there, if I was in the room, I'd go, Did you j- now you're telling him he doesn't care. Now you're telling him what to do. But we do this, don't we? We cast our cares, but we say, God, you know what, if I would just have this much money, if I would just have this much time, I'd be able to, uh, you know, free of these, these cares in life. If I, if I just have this gifting that somebody else had, I would be okay. God, if you would just give me this, God, if I just had this, I'd be happy. What do we do? We impose our will on God. That's why I love the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. Not my will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. It's always interesting to me because sometimes we don't know what we need in life. And I always tell people this all the time. Those that I'm counseling, I said, you know, I don't know. I, yeah, it does sound like this would be better if you had this situation going on or you had this um, going for you or, or whatnot. But I don't know that. I'm not God. But I do know that God's given you everything that you need. I know that you're exactly where he wants you to be. And maybe it's not the right time, or maybe it's not the right opportunity, but you know what? God has it all in control. 
That's why I love the verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Not come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will change the situation that you're in. I will give you the money that you need. I will give you the time that you need. It's no, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why? Because we humble ourselves. We know that God's in control no matter what. It's a great principle to know that he's in control. That's why I love the song that we just sang. I know that you're with me. I know. I may not know, have the answers. I may not know what my next decision is going to be in life. I may not know how to fix the problem. I may not know if my, my sibling or family member is ever going to get better. But I know that you're with me and that you are in control. And that's when I can have rest. You know, I think about the story and I think, you know, you think about the disciples sitting there. And I kind of wonder what was going through their mind when Martha said that. Because it wasn't too long before that that the disciples said the exact same thing to Jesus. If you remember, the disciples were in a boat. And this just happens in Luke 8. The disciples are in a boat. And a big storm comes up, right? And this is in all the Gospels. And so from Mark 38, what is it? Mark 4, 38. It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said, look at what they said to him. Jesus don't you care if we drown? That's why I think, I don't know if the disciples will go, oh, she's going to learn that lesson like we learned that lesson, huh? Don't you care if we drown? Folks, understand, it has nothing to do with the storm. It has everything to do with our attitude towards it. Jesus may never calm the storm. He may never have calmed the storm in the disciples' life, but he always promises to calm the sailor. We may never... We may never have answers. We may never get over the sickness. We may never have the finances we need. But Jesus says, come to me, all you weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That verse back in 1 Peter, as we talk about humbling yourself under God's mighty hand, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. The verse after that is, be be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to focus on all the things going on in your life and lose your perspective from having time with the Father. Losing your perspective that he's more important. And that's what Martha did. She got focused on all her responsibilities and forgot to spend time with the Father. As we looked at that, as I was looking at this, these two stories this, um, this week with the disciples and with Mary... And I think, you know, Mary said, Lord, don't you care, right? The disciples said, Lord, don't you care? But in one instance, the Lord fixed the storm, calmed the storm, didn't he? Miracle happening, calmed the storm. But for Martha, no miracle occurred. He didn't just say, boom, and all the preparations for the meal was done. And I think, what's the difference? Why did, why did Jesus calm the storm and make a miracle once, but then didn't do the miracle here? And I'm realizing it's because in the story of the disciples, it was a lesson in his power and authority. But in this instant with Mary and Martha, it was a lesson in priorities. Can you imagine what would have happened if she imposed her will on him? And then the miracle happened. What we would have as our own theology going through life going, hey, Martha, all she had to do was press Jesus, put her will in there, and things happen. Jesus said, no, 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 this is a lesson in priorities. You know, we, 
we give Martha a bad rap. And I know it feels like we're giving Martha a bad rap here. A lot of preachers do. A lot of people say, man, don't be a Martha. As if it's like some kind of degrading something. Be a Mary. I've heard preachers say that. Don't be a Martha. Be a Mary. Well, yes, Mary was at the feet of Jesus. My question is, is Martha wasn't doing like anything immorally wrong. It's not like she was saying she's in the, she was in the kitchen uh, sleeping around. Or Martha's in the kitchen getting drunk. Or Martha was, uh, Martha was in the kitchen preparing for the food and then conspiring to kill Jesus. No, she's in, she's, she's, she was serving. She was getting dinner ready. It wasn't an insurmountable task. It's not like she had a thousand people over. But we give her a bad rap. We say, she must not have known who Jesus was. Of course she knew who Jesus was. She's the one who opened the door for him. She's the one who calls him Lord. Mary doesn't, Martha does. As we look at uh, what happened with uh, the story of her brother, Lazarus, we, it says in John eleven twenty seven. this is what Martha says, Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So she knew who Christ was. She was a believer, just like many of you are. Understand that he has come, son of God. But she obviously had a gift for serving. As we see with uh, Mary and uh, the, the, the encounter with the perfume. As you see in John 12, 1 through 3. It says, six days before the Passover, a different encounter. Jesus came to Bethany, same house, where Lazarus lives, their brother, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here, dinner was given again in Jesus' honor. Martha, what? Served. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured on Jesus' feet, wiped his hair, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with fragrance of perfume. So where, where's Martha again? She's serving. She's serving. It's her, it must be a gift. A lot of people have the gift of helps, as it says in Second Corinthians. She obviously had a gift of hospitality. There's nothing wrong with that. My wife has that gift. I do not have that gift. You do not want to come over and see me in the kitchen preparing f- food. You don't. Just walk right on out. (laughs) So if Martha wasn't doing anything wrong, then what was the problem? If she wasn't doing anything immorally wrong at the time, what is the problem? Why was she getting rebuked? The problem is that her mission became more important than the master. She started focusing on everything she needed to do, the responsibilities she had. But she became focused on that, and that became more important than the time spent with Jesus. Great intentions, wrong priority. Great intentions, wrong priority. You know, I have the, the, the privilege of marrying couples here at the church throughout time. We have quite a few marriages um, this, this year. And uh, I always have a few moments at the altar when folks come down uh, to tell them one last you know, tidbit of information, as if they're really listening to what I have to say anyway. But I figure, while I'm up here, you're going to listen to me. Uh, we've already gone through the counseling process. That's great. But what's the one last thing that I can tell them? What's the one last thing that I can say that make sure this marriage gets off to the right start? And I always say the same thing. Listen, you're going to have responsibilities in life. You're going to have responsibilities for your work, for your family, for uh, your church, for your service. You're going to have responsibilities. The question is, is, do you have the right priority? Do you understand that your priority really is to God first? And then to everything else? I sit with with, uh, men... Uh, in counseling all the time, who, whose marriages are, are just a mess. And they, they'll say, you know, Jared, I, I don't understand. I, I'm spending time with my kids. 
my wife gets mad. She gets mad because I'm not relaxed enough, so I go on vacation. I do my, my thing to, have, to, uh, to relax and so I can come back so I feel like I could be better at that. And they get mad that I'm away so much because I'm golfing or, or whatever. I don't understand. How do I do this correctly? And I always say, listen, you do have responsibilities for your job. Yeah, that's going to pull you away. You do have responsibilities to hang out with your kids. Yeah, for sure. You do have responsibilities to, you know, to relax. Great, great <laughs> That's a great priority. It's just you have them in the wrong order. You're not spending enough time with Christ. And you've lost your joy altogether. Martha lost her joy altogether. She had a gift for serving. She had a responsibility when people come over to maybe prepare the house. But for Martha, it became about what she was doing, not who she was doing it for. And she put all those priorities first. And forgot to spend time with the Father. She allowed it to drag her away and she lost all her joy. Some of us get into life and we have so many responsibilities weighing us down. And we go from one thing to another to another. And our schedule is filled. My schedule is totally filled. And I have to be careful with this too. Actually, a lot of the staff laugh at me because I just kind of go dart into one office and go to another. And then go to counseling, go to the hospital, come back, go to another office. And uh, Bob Mason, our pastor of small group, says, Jared, you should have roller skates on. Which, something to think about. But I have, a, my schedule is just packed. But I've got to remember, I've got to spend time with God. I've got to spend time with Him. A lot of times we try to work our schedules around like, okay, where can I have some my quiet time? It needs to be the other way around. So here's my quiet time, then all the rest of the stuff follows. That's why people get burnt out. That's why people are running. And you go, hey, God, I'm serving in the church. I'm spending time with my family. I'm, you know, I'm working. I've got a good job. I'm happy. I'm a believer. I know, but I'm just burnt out. I don't have any joy whatsoever. And I say, it's because you're not spending enough time. Great priorities. Wrong order. We need to spend time with the fathers. Mary did. Make it our first priority. Mary was, Martha was worried about the bread that feeds the body. Mary was focused on the bread that feeds the soul. So what's the response? We see the response there in your scripture in verse 41. It says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Don't you love Jesus' response to Martha? Don't you love Jesus' response to us? If that were me, I... (laughs) Martha came in and go, are you going to come in here and bark orders at me? Well, you just go on get. Jesus didn't say that. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried, upset about many things. He said, it's, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. Some of you are worried about many, many things. It's stuff. We cast it all to him, but we humble know that he's our first priority. It's just stuff. Luke 12 says, who of you can worry, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? It's just stuff, Martha. I'm more concerned, Martha, about your relationship with me, spending time with me, than, than this stuff. Than this stuff. John 10, 27. It's a great verse. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they what? Follow me. They follow me. They're going to spend time with me. They're going to follow me. They're going to put me first. Jesus says, I care more about your company than I do about your service. Have you ever felt like a Martha? Just going from one thing to another? You ever felt like a Martha? You just got all these burdens going on in your life and you go, I just don't know what to do with them. 
Do you ever feel like a Martha? I feel like a Martha every once in a while. You've got to realize, you know what? Spending time with God is my first priority. Why? Because she's chosen what will be better. And it will not be taken away from her. What won't be taken away from her? What won't be taken away from her? The relationship with him. What will be taken away from her? All the stuff of life. All this stuff. Responsibilities we have. All that's going to go away. What's more important is your relationship with him. Are you spending time with him? Are you spending time with him? Don't lose sight of the fact that your service, what you're doing, your responsibilities are important. Martha obviously had a gift, though, didn't she? She had the gift of hospitality. She had the gift of helps, and she was doing that. We just have to make sure that service, while we have these responsibilities to serve, that, that we have the right priority. Some of us are uh, serving a lot in churches. We have a lot of uh, various aspects we have. My encouragement for you is service is important. Using your gifts for God is important. The responsibilities are important, but we've got to make sure we have the right attitude. That who we do it for is more important than what we do it, well, how we do, or what we do. One author wrote, every church needs a Martha. Change that. Every church needs a hundred Marthas. Sleeves rolled and ready. They keep the pace for the church. Because of Marthas, the church budget gets balanced. The church babies get bounced, and the church building gets built. You don't appreciate Marthas until all the Marthas are missing. Then all the Marys are scrambling around looking for the keys and thermostats and overhead projectors. <laughs> Marthas are the energizer bunnies of the church. They keep going and going. They store strength like a camel stores water. Since they don't seek the spotlight, they don't live off the applause. That's not to say they don't need it. They just aren't addicted to it. Marthas have a mission, and they use their gifts to fulfill that mission. In fact, if Marthas had a weakness... It would be their tendency to elevate the mission over the master. The scene Luke describes as Mary seated and Martha fuming. Martha is angry because Mary, horror of horrors, sitting at the feet of Jesus. How impractical, how irrelevant, how unnecessary. I mean, who has time to sit and listen when there's bread to be baked, tables to be set, and souls to be saved? So Martha complained, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. All of a sudden, Martha has gone from serving Jesus to making demands. The room falls silent. The disciples duck their eyes. Mary flushes red. And Jesus speaks, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Only one thing is important. Mary has chosen what is better and will never be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better. What's better? The relationship with him. Jesus is more concerned about your time spent with him than all the stuff of life. That's why he wants you to come to him. That's why he wants you to come to him in good times and in bad. Spending time with him is number one priority. One thing I love about the story is that Martha gets it, though, doesn't she? She learns. Because later when Jesus is there with Lazarus and Mary's pouring perfume on Jesus' feet, Martha, what does she do? She's serving, but this time she's not objecting, is she? She realizes that there's a time and place for praise and worship. There's a time and place to spend with Christ. So my question to you this morning, very simple, is first off, are you serving? Are you serving? We talk a lot about serving here at the church. Serving various aspects, maybe in this building or beyond. Are you serving? Are you using your gifts to serve the Lord? You know, we have a ministry class coming up in a few weeks where we talk about what are your gifts? Because people go, I don't know what my gifts are. We obviously saw what Martha's gifts are. We all have gifts. Are you using them to serve the Lord? That's the first thing. The second thing is, when you are serving, are you finding a balance between your service and your worship? Finding a balance. Finding a balance. Realize, yes, I have responsibilities. I have things that I have to get done. 
but my relationship with the Father comes first. I need to make that a priority. And finally, are you slowing down in life enough to go and listen to the Father? Slowing down enough. I mean, some of us, we pray, the, we pray a prayer and then we just get on with life. Are you slowing down enough? Are you really taking the time? When there's stuff going on, when you have a lot of burdens going on, do you take the time to not only cast it on him, but wait on him? Be patient for him. Are you taking the time to slow down? Are you making your relationship with him a priority in your life? You know, in closing, it was, I always remember from seminary, one of my first classes I had in seminary was about uh, spiritual formation. And they were talking to us as pastors about setting your schedule. And they kind of warned us about, hey, there's going to be a lot on your schedule. And so we all had to make like a master schedule of things that we thought uh, we were going to do as pastors, although it's a little different now. Uh, and we'd always put in all the meetings and everything that we thought were going to happen. Then we kind of scheduled in... God time around it. And I always remember, even as you're reading this passage, what my professor said to me. He said, listen, do not work your schedule around God. Always work God around your own schedule. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Father, thank you for teaching us in your word. Father, thank you for Mary and Martha's. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to each and every one of us. Father, I pray that you impress upon us the gifts that we have to serve you. And that we can do that fully. But help us have a good attitude while we do it, Father. Help us to remember that we need to put you first. Make you a priority in our life, Father. Impress upon that to us, Father, as we are leading our homes, as we're leading our households, Father. There's many parents in here. Father, help, help us to be motivated and determined to make you first so that our families, our children can see that, Father. So that they understand that you are our priority above all the just stuff of life. Thank you, Father. Move amongst us this morning. Thank you for your, for your word and teaching us. I ask that you be with us. I ask this in your name. Amen.